This week's major spoilers podcast goes out to Joshua Metzelar, which I think is either a pharmaceutical or a robot from the future. Either way, he's also known as Web Metz. Thanks for your support, sir. We appreciate it. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew, and there's no Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Green Hornet... Blue Star Man, Orange Moons, Pink Hearts, Purple Horseshoes, they're always after me, Lucky Charms. Plus, Rodrigo isn't here, so I'm going to be doing a vaguely racist imitation of him as a Pope Mario throughout the whole show. <laughs> hey, it's the major spoilers of podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. So glad that you are here and so sad. That Rodrigo is not this week. I never look forward to the shows without him because that sounds insulting. I love having Rodrigo on the show, but there's a kind of a dynamic to uh, two fat white guys talking <laughs> show that I don't necessarily you know, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like, have you ever been watching cable and you see an episode of Futurama and it's the one where Fry's dog has been fossilized and you've seen yes. it a thousand times yes. and you're like, I'm going to sit here and watch this. And it's good every time. That's kind of the way the, you know, two fat guys talking shows are for me. <laughs> I like them. I don't, you know, I wouldn't trade the regular experience, but it's kind of a change of pace. Two, two fat white guys talking or 90% of all the other podcasts out there. Hello. <laughs> That's right, folks. We've got diversity and you don't. Ah, <laughs> uh, we kid, we kid. Let's get to some news this week and really not a big busy week for news. Of course, there was some controversy uh, going on with uh, uh, the uh, Ryan Choi and the minority uh, cleansing that appears to be going on over at DC Comics. You'll have to go and read the interviews and judge for yourself if the questions were asked appropriately or not. Uh, but in other news, we have a bunch of Green Hornet stuff. We've got a Fright Night remake with uh, everyone's You're favorite so doctor. so cool, Brewster. <laughs> or we can talk about the new Smurf movie. And I will say this. We took the uh, the three-year-old to see the Smurf movie, or to see uh, Toy Story 3 for his birthday. And uh, didn't make it all the way through the movie, but we made it through enough. But the preview for the Smurfs movie came up, and my wife looked at me and said, oh, that sucks. So <laughs> spin that wheel, Matthew, and let's see where we land. There it goes around and around and around. And if this was actually in stereo instead of crisp, clear mono, you could actually hear that wheel spin. All right. It landed on number one. A whole bunch of Green Hornet news now. Matthew, what is your I mean, you are a big Green Hornet fan. You've been a big Green Hornet fan since I've probably known you, maybe even longer than that. Uh, what do you think <laughs> of all this resurgence of Green Hornet that's going on? I think it's great in a way, except that the Green Hornet dates back to the 1930s, which sure. means that by today's standards, he's not kick-ass, awesome, woo! You know, Mark Miller probably doesn't want to write a Green Hornet series. Why not? And that's that's a good thing, and that's a that could be a bad thing in the same way. So I'm worried that bringing the Green Hornet into the 21st and a half century is somehow going to turn the Hornet into a joke or turn him into something that he's not where it's like will smith is the green hornet 
Well, or, I don't think we have we ever run the risk of that happening now. But we do have Dynamite Entertainment has had what I think in September they're going to have like eight Green Hornet like titles yeah. coming out well, in in a single month. There's Kevin Smith's Green Hornet, right? There's uh, is it Sting of the Green Hornet? Uh, let's see, we've Kato, got we've got Kevin Kato Smith's Kato Green Hornet, uh, Green Hornet Year One. New Green Hornet and Kato, Green Hornet Parallel Lives number three, The Green Hornet Strikes, Kato mm-hmm. Origins, Kevin Smith's Kato number six, Kevin Smith's Kato, Not My Father's Daughter, which doesn't come out until November, and The Green mm-hmm. Hornet Golden Age Remastered number three. Holy crap. That's a lot of Hornet, my friends. You know, hey, I applaud uh, uh, Dynamite Entertainment for going out and doing all this Green Hornet stuff because with the movie coming out and with all the hype surrounding Seth Rogen, uh, they played that card very well in anticipation of that movie coming out when it was originally supposed to come out, like, <laughs> I think next week or something was when it was originally yeah. supposed to come out. It was it's, like mid-June, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that's when it was originally uh, to come out. It's now been pushed all the way till January, the dead zone of movies. Dun, dun, dun. Well, maybe. Uh, some movies have broken huge in January. Maybe Very being few. out of the big summer crush is going to help Green Hornet. I didn't it expect could. Green Hornet to be, you know, huge blockbuster Independence Day kind of psycho stuff. But I felt like it could have kind of, I don't know, maybe a to use the Will Smith analogy again, maybe a Hancock kind of vibe where some people love it, some people hate it, and it does decent business. Yeah, well, you know. Quite honestly, movies that come out in January are ones that the studios don't bank on because you're right after the holidays. Everyone's geared back up to going back to work. Um, You've got the award season just around the corner, so everyone's focused on the movies that came out at the end of 2010, not the beginning of 2011. Mm -hmm. And seeing how it's been pushed from whatever the original release is twice now to January and the fact that they're turning it into a 3D movie. Right. Uh, just doesn't sit well for me. Now, I will say this though, for for Dynamite Entertainment, with all of these, um, with all these Green Hornet books that they that they uh, have coming out, it has actually helped them in their market share rankings. Um, Dynamite Entertainment. Let me call it up really quick. Uh, typically, it's a battle for third through fifth place, and this month, eh, let's see, I probably don't even have it here in front of me. Uh, this month, they I think they actually did a little bit better than they have in the past. Oh, where is it? Come on, Stephen. Well, tell us, Matthew. Well, I'm again. A, climb aboard the moon. <laughs> <laughs> again, while I'm finding this, while we find out where IDW is placed in the uh, top 300 in this uh, month of uh, May, again, mm-hmm. tell us. Go on and tell us some more about what you think of of the Green Hornet and why it's been so popular and such a success and all of that good stuff. The Green Hornet is one of those characters where kind of like kind of like the Lone Ranger, kind of like Buck Rogers, he's always been on the periphery of comic books. Right. Especially historically speaking. I mean, Green Hornet comics were very successful in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. But I don't think a lot of people have a real understanding of the Green Hornet other than it's that show that Bruce Lee was on in the 60s. Right. You know, and that's fine. And I think that's a good, that's a good place to get people hooked. But I think the Green Hornet has kind of that same thing. We discussed Batman a few shows ago mm-hmm. where Batman has that kind of, that nebulous prototypicality to him to where he's like, he's not just archetypical. He's like 
pre-archetypical. And Batman can do anything because Batman came at a time when there was nobody else really around. And the Green Hornet is like that. Right. The Green Hornet is one of those early superhero types. And I think he predates Superman. Oh, I'm sure he does I, in the 1930s. I mean, he was out around the same time we could head over to yeah. the wiki, uh, the wiki space really quick. But uh, he was out why, around the same time as the Lone Ranger. So right. when you look at uh, when you look at the Green Hornet in relation to actual superheroes, he was more of a mystery man uh, superhero right. than he was sort anyone of a, else. One of those those pulpy proto heroes. But I feel like there's a lot to be said for the thing and the dynamic of superhero pretending to be supervillain and the dynamic right. of having Cato, the faithful retinue who does the really heavy duty fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as though. No incarnation of the Hornet has been completely useless in a fight, but it's usually Cato who does the heavy lifting in terms right. of kicking the snot out of people. And in, that's kind of a neat dynamic, too. In this uh, in this case, the Green Hornet made his first appearance in the Green Hornet radio program January 31st, 1936. So two years yep. before. W, WXYZ radio, I believe. WXYZ. WXYZ. But uh, here it's well, this w- is Now, this is interesting because today we had... Or just yesterday, we had the first official photos released of mm-hmm. uh, the Green Hornet movie. We've seen some unofficial releases before. And also today, y- Yahoo Movies, or yesterday, depending on when you're listening. Hello, future people. There's no way you can be listening today because the show won't go up until tomorrow anyway. So hello, future people. Put it up at 11.59. If I could edit it that quick, if we could actually get done with this show on time, then yes. But the one thing that I didn't realize is that originally the Green Hornet posed as a bad guy to infiltrate the bad guys so that he could tear them out from the inside. Right. And the, the whole pretending to be the baddest villain in the city, whatever the city is, some say Chicago, some say Boston. That's what makes his gimmick, his gimmick, right? The green Hornet. And there are a lot of characters who knocked off the green Hornet, but essentially the green Hornet is kind of, a modernization with new twists on the Lone Ranger. Mm-hmm. Instead of his faithful horse, Silver, he has the powerful Black Beauty. And instead of Tonto, his faithful Indian companion, he has Kato, his faithful, depending on what year it is, Filipino slash Japanese <laughs> companion. Right. So I feel like, I feel like the only worry that I have looking at the Hornet clips is. Mm-hmm. They're going into some action territory and, you know, having Britt Reed be. A party boy doesn't bother me so much as it having. It doesn't Brit bother Reed me either. It having Britt Reed be in, at least in the trailer that we had on the site. Check it out. Made yeah, it's really good. Um, Seth Rogen is coming across as a little goofy. Well, you know, and that's part of the problem. Whenever he was first announced as as the Green Hornet, I'm thinking the fat kid from Freaks and Geeks is really going to uh-huh. be the Green Hornet. And then, of course, you saw him in Pineapple Express. He was still kind of a little chunky. But for this role, he has really slimmed down. And I can see if you watch everything that he does, he's this doofy, dopey party animal of a guy who leads the life of luxury until his father dies. And then he realizes that, hey, I need to straighten up with my life. And then all of a sudden, here's somebody that's just had a life of partying is told, hey, we could be heroes, and I don't know, in today's day and age, it almost works. The way I view the trailer is his character works because what we're going to see, hopefully, is a transition from this dumbass, goofy character to someone that becomes a hero and understands what it means to be a hero, even though he gets into mishaps. Because quite honestly, how often when you and I were younger 
did we sit around and go, wouldn't it be awesome if we could put the Gatlin guns on top of Matthew's brown pickup and go down the street and, <laughs> and you know. That would have been awesome. Yes, it would have been. So, But I think. Go ahead. I, Rodrigo, would like <laughs> to say something at this time. Go ahead, about Rodrigo. The tropes of the go ahead, film go ahead that fake I Rodrigo. About at the Northwestern University. Glad to have you here, fake Rodrigo. And I would like to say that as a young guy, I don't know anything about this Green Hornet. But there's a lot of things in this movie that are kind of like a shorthand for big action superhero movie. Which kind of makes me what would like these be? The leaning out of the cars and the big driving sequence with the explosions. Oh, and yeah, the that's very Michael Bay. We've seen that in a million other films. What else have you got? So, it could it could possibly be, be a case where maybe the people who are, are getting a little tired of the superhero movies... Am I to get a little tired of these? That is, you know, that is a big concern. I mean, a lot of people, not to take away from the Green Hornet movie, but talking about um, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, or the universe, uh, a lot of people are looking at that trailer and saying, this is the end of the comic book movie. I can't believe they're putting all the Biff Bam Batman pow in this thing. I'm going to hate it with my nerd rage as I sit there on the front row on opening night. <laughs> and I think Matthew's got the video feed, so he gets to see the whole facial expressions and everything. <laughs> I th- And this is what I think. I th- you're right, Matthew. I think you do run the risk with all these superhero type movies out there now and following these tropes that uh, fake Rodrigo is, is throwing out there that you could run into this risk. I don't think so with this movie. I think there's just enough fun in it. People don't know what the heck a Green Hornet is, just like they didn't know what the heck a, a, a Hancock is. And um, some people know what a hand is. <laughs> some people know what a donkey punch is too, but we're not going to talk about that in this show. Um, Hello. <laughs> so I think you you do run the risk, but I watched the trailer and I think it's I think it's fantastic. I I want to see it. I think it looks like a lot of good fun. Do I want to see it in January? Mm, I think I'd rather see it in the hot of the summer where I can go into a nice cool movie theater and watch it. But hey, it's not my call. Uh, Talking about uh, the um, IDW and where they stand in the top 300, you know, when we look at third, fourth, and fifth place of um, of the market share and the unit share, uh, people need to realize that Marvel is always going to be the top of the unit share and, and dollar share because they just release a crap right. ton of comics every month. I mean, a Seven, crap ton seventy five monthly comics essentially, or more. I don't, I you know, I I think uh, when you count in all the uh, trades and the bound volumes and everything, there's over a hundred things that they release in a given month. DC Comics is always going to come in number two because of sheer volume. So that leaves third, fourth, and fifth place. And usually it's Dark Horse Comics because of two things, Star Wars and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So that means it's a battle between fourth and fifth place, which usually is Image Comics and somebody else. And this past month in May, we've got IDW Publishing. And if my top 300 looks right, it looks like IDW actually appears first, even though I thought I saw a Dark Horse earlier with Buffy in the top 100. Uh, but it actually looks like Dynamite Entertainment placed number 76, that's their first, or 78, that's their first entry in the top 300, with uh, Kevin Smith's Green Hornet number four, which nice. sold somewhere in the neighborhood of 26,000 units to the direct market. And that's quite a large number of comics for a small publisher. When you look at the, the percentage difference between the unit shares, between Dark Horse, Image, and IDW, Dark Horse is at 3.16%, Image Comics is at 3.14%, and ITW is 2.95%. So between the two, you've got, what, basically a 15, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, 11, 12-point difference between the mm-hmm. two? 
Uh, that's not a whole lot. I mean, that's, well, what is that? Seven, actually, um, 17, 18% difference or 0.18% difference. Not a whole lot. <laughs> Math is hard. Let's I know. Shot. At this time, it is hard. Uh, so, I mean, that is, that's a big deal. Okay. That mm-hmm. is a big deal. That is a small margin. Because then when you look at where um, uh, Dynamite uh, is at 2.61, and Boom Studios at 1.69 in that top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, companies. That right. margin is very tight. So for Dynamite to show up with that 2.61% unit share, IDW at 2.95, but still placing 78th in that list, 26,000 comics is not a bad deal. And of course, having Kevin Smith's name on the Green Hornet probably doesn't hurt uh, that, that title. I, I think would I probably no. screwed up some of those numbers and rankings, but oh well. Well, that's all right. All that everybody heard was number, number, number. <laughs> Fast know. forward to Rodrigo. Yeah. Go ahead, Rodrigo. What do you got to say? Well, I have this to say. As I went to the Northwestern University many, many years ago, way back in the late 2000s, I learned a couple of things about a name like a Kevin Smith on a book. Okay. And generally speaking, although some people will go, oh, no, it's written by Kevin Smith. I'm not going to read it. I think that uh, overall, having that name is usually a good thing because it makes people think, oh, wait, I have a like to something that the Kevin Smith has done. Or the vast majority of people don't care that it says a Kevin Smith. So I feel like that may be an entryway for people who are only marginally into the comic books and they liked it. There you go. All right. Uh, Listeners, you can head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. You can find all of the... uh, uh, solicitations for Green Hornet from uh, Dark uh, from Dynamite Entertainment. You can go and see the um, Green Hornet movie trailer. You can go and see a whole lot of more Green Hornet stuff. You can see the Smurfs movie trailer. You can find out about the Fright Night remake movie that's coming out, which actually looks pretty good. You can read about Nexus and his complete history, written up by Matthew. Nexus. And of course, you're going to want to watch the site on Thursday because I think we have some really awesome stuff coming up this week. Stick around, and we're going to be right back after this. So you want the major spoilers a shout out. What you got to do is you go and you donate to the major spoilers is what you do. And you give them a little bit of the thing there and then a little bit of the love in the form of the, the currency and or, you know, pictures of your girlfriend. We're not really proud. And then... Once you've done that, you send us your name, and I will pronounce it badly at the beginning of the show, see? And at that point, you will have been a major spoilers, a shout-out. The funniest jokes won't make it to the air because they're, uh, well, they're pretty awful, I gotta tell you. But uh, other than that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty simple like that there. So uh, you should totally do that, and then you too can have the shout-out. Ten bucks and up, Major Spoilers is not responsible for anything Matthew says about your name, your ethnicity, or any other things that might be problematic. Yes, it is a Tuesday. It is us Tuesday. being a little crazy. And it's only us, so we don't have Rodrigo here keeping the No, wait, straight. I am here to do... Well, we've got fake Rodrigo. We yes. I want to thank everybody who's donated to the Major Spoilers experience, and we're going to have that list keep on rolling. If you would like to donate, like the voice said... Head over to Majorspoilers.com. We appreciate everything that all of you do. It uh, really makes us feel good to know that you care that much. <laughs> oh, uh, I gotta—I always get a little nervous anytime someone says, hey, can I have your, your address so I can send you guys something? Always makes me a little nervous because I don't know. Yeah, the anthrax cocktails. Yeah, and... don't give people hints. Come on, man. All Oops. right, so this comes from 
da, 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 Brad, I won't use his last name, but he's from New Jersey. Dear Stephen Rodrigo and Matthew. We won't hold that against him. No, 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 no. Because I don't want to butcher it like I did on Saturday's show with everybody's last names. <laughs> Dear Stephen Rodrigo and Matthew, I'm not usually a comic book reader. As much as the art is exceptional and the characters are intriguing, the stories for me are just too short. I can and have read through a decent-sized novel in a few days, and so the actual length of the story in the comics tends to keep me away. That being said, I am a fan of The Dark Knight and just had to pick up Batman 700 at Midtown Comics near where I live in New York City. It says here he lives in Hackensack, New Jersey. So it was very well done and definitely deserves the five slices of meatloaf review that it received in last week's show. While at the store, I happened upon a comic by IDW Publishing that is an issue number one retailer exclusive for Midtown Comics, New York City, entitled Mystery Society. This is a book that I actually reviewed on the site a couple of weeks ago when it was released and absolutely adored it. Uh, He says, I picked one up for myself as I'm a fan of the other great detectives and mysteries in general. Seeing it, I thought of the three of you as well and picked up a second issue, U3 plus D&D Brian. Uh, and I'm sure he also means Rob, too, because we don't want to leave anybody out, have given me hours upon hours of enjoyment and laughter, so I thought I would try a little in return. So he sent us this uh, signed Steve Niles copy of Mystery Society Number 1 from Midtown Comics in uh, in New York City. And really, Mystery Society, I thought, was a wonderful first issue. It's a retailer exclusive that has the uh, company's print on that. We've been asked a couple times if we want to do a major spoilers exclusive like that, but... We should. Does it cost money? I don't know how much it costs. I've never looked into it, but uh, it's something we might might be able to do in the future. But thank you we so could much. We put like the little cartoon faces and go. It's Matthew Tastic. <laughs> thank you so much, Brad, for uh, for sending us that stuff. And we do appreciate it when people do go out of their way and send us a little drawing that they've done of Torque and the in the Torquil tones for a critical hit, or send us some of this cool merchandise stuff like that. It really, really is appreciated. Just like we appreciate everyone who uh, who donates to the Major Spoilers Experience. Yep, indeed. Uh, we also got another blah, 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 blah. Matthew dig into that mailbag r- right there and see, isn't there? There is no mailbag. It is email. <laughs> You're gonna have a good time doing this show alone, man. <laughs> John Luizo writes. John says, "Hey, f- long time listener, first time caller." <laughs> Sorry, I gave myself the hiccups. It was actually kind of disgusting. Please hold oh, while I take a drink. Oh, that's okay. We need the uh, the fake we- Rodrigo to jump in with these little comments. Hello, I am fake Rigo, and I am here to help. <laughs> I would read the letter, but it's incredibly annoying to listen to me. <laughs> John Louisa writes, and he says, Gosh, I'll use my school loan money and get Atomic Robo. I thought about it before the most recent MSP, but you've twisted my arm. I've also mentioned to the owner of the local store that I buy lots of new stuff and spend more money because of you guys, and that maybe he wants to check us out and do a sponsorship. You know, I really like it when we receive emails like this from people saying, hey, I went out and pimped you guys and and talked to to other people in my local comic book store and told Mm -hmm. them to go to the website or listen to the podcast. Or I know of one person who actually burned a bunch of copies of uh, Critical Hit and gave them to his friends to get them to listen, and now they're hooked on the show as well. So these kinds of things are really, really great. And and I think the more people out there that can go and do a bunch of grassroots or just spreading the word, you know, telling that person next to you at the uh, at the comic book stand, hey, I heard Major Spoilers gave that a good review, or hey, Major Spoilers did this, or you guys should go check out this website. Anything you can do to promote, I think, really helps us out in the long run. And when you compare where we were four years ago to where we are today, 
it's 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 yeah. great and fantastic. I know I've moved five blocks down the street. <laughs> well, I also you know I like the fact that a lot of people are getting hooked on Atomic Robo, and when that first that series first appeared in my radar, I was I've been hooked since day one, and was only really disappointed, like I said last uh, week, in the uh, Dogs of War storyline, the second volume. Uh, but everything else has always just been gangbusters for me, and I just love that love that series. And, and again, listeners, if you haven't checked out Atomic Rogue Boat, you really, really should. You got anything, Matthew, you want to add? I am fake Rodrigo! Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was Matthew. No, Matthew has... Uh, wait, where is Matthew? I'm over here. <laughs> okay, I am fake Rodrigo! And I'm Matthew. Fake Rodrigo would like to review a comic book! Oh, okay. Is it time for reviews already, Fake Rigo? It is time for reviews. <laughs> I am Fake Rodrigo, and You're I not... have the latest issue of Half Naked Woman with Wings and some sort of armor. <laughs> You're not rolling and... your R's enough. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm Rodrigo. <laughs> Rodrigo. <laughs> well, what did you think about and... Half Naked Lady with uh, wings and, and booger, booger uh, bikini on? She was totally naked and would be good. I give it a two out of five stars, but it was a comic with a meatloaf. Wait, what? Uh, <laughs> let's start over. Three, two, one. And I liked it. There you go. All right. This week, we've got a couple of books here, uh, one from Marvel and one from Dynamite Entertainment. Uh, Dynamite does a lot to uh, send us some previews of, of some of these books. This one was actually one that I've been buying uh, because they sent me a free copy, so hopefully it's kind of that what we were just talking about. Publisher sends mm-hmm. me a free copy. We tell you about it. You go out and buy multiple copies. I get hooked on it. I start buying it. Lone Ranger number twenty-two by um, by Brett Matthews, art by uh, Sergio uh, Cariello, Cariello. Uh, and uh, it continues on the story that has been going on for a lot of a lot of issues. And I'm really surprised because Lone Ranger has missed a lot of months i think since the last issue came out or at least in my mind it's been a couple of months but in this issue this resolve storyline continues as uh cavendish tears through the the ranger's uh, family as he's trying to crack the ranger and bring him down and one by one it's just this horrible thing that he's doing killing people left and right last issue kind of ended with this implied rape of um the rangers what is she um Sister-in-law, is that who she is? I believe so, yeah. And um, it really ended in a bad kind of way because people are like, really, Dynamite, you're going to end this with uh, with this a rape and killing of a woman just after we've been dealing with a lot of other rapes and killings in a lot of other books. This month, we do find out that she isn't raped. She isn't killed. Uh, Cavendish, uh, Cavendish is still tearing hell through the Rangers' territory. But uh, she's actually very strong and tries – she kills one guy and she tries to kill the other guy, but he's a little bit too strong for us. We see some of the other players involved in the Ranger's life having to make decisions on uh, whether they're going to turn against the Ranger or stand uh, uh, with him. But there's one really important scene that happens in The Lone Ranger that kind of ties back to what we were talking about in the first uh, segment. The son of uh, the Ranger's uh, sister-in-law, uh, Linda – his name is Dan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know your Green Hornet history, Matthew, who is Dan? Well, Dan could be Dan Reed. Yes. The father of Britt Reed, also known as the Green Hornet. Now, for the longest time, people have always or have known that there has mm-hmm. been this a familiar lineage 
of heroes from the Lone Ranger through to the Green Hornet. But has it always been that direct jump from Lone Ranger to uh, Britt Reed's father, Dan Dan Reed, to the current Green Hornet that we know? I believe that initially uh, the writer who I believe is Franz Stryker, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Actually, the to created the Green Hornet as something of a spinoff of the Lone Ranger. Ah, okay. So, for all intents and purposes, the Green Hornet was initially, I believe, the Ranger's either nephew or great nephew in the thirties. Well, this would be the Ranger's nephew, right? Yeah, the, the Lone Ranger's nephew was Dan Reed, mm-hmm. and then Dan Reed is Britt Reed's father. So, I believe then that would make Britt. Uh, like a cousin once removed or something. Well, check know. this out. The boy, Dan, has to run. His mother tells him to flee and or that uh, um, that he's going to get killed as well. And so he goes out, and he's really upset. He's really despondent that you know he hasn't been able to save his mother. He's crying, and then he feels this sting, something biting him on his shoulder, and he looks, and it's a green hornet. No! Doesn't end there. The boy shows back up to the house where the mother is getting a beating from this uh, this rapist and the guy gets stung by something he goes ow what is that and he goes oh it's bees and then there's dan standing there and the bad guy's like what do you got there behind your back boy let me see and then dan whips out this hornet's nest and shoves it in the guy's face and he is covered swarmed with these green hornets and dan is just there he goes not bees hornets and the guy dies because in the green hornet history if you read the most recent uh i forget which series it was i think you and i reviewed it in a dueling review one of the green hornet origins yeah i believe it was green hornet origin number one or two they talk about that the green hornet is got a very deadly sting and it kills people uh instantly and uh of course this guy does die but i really found it funny that here i was purposefully trying to avoid any of the Green Hornet books for any of the reviews. And I sat down, I said, well, I'm going to read Lone Ranger. This is going to be exciting. And then halfway through the book, I'm like, what's going to happen? How are people going to survive? Who's going to die? Who's going to live? Oh, it's a Green Hornet origin story. Damn you, dynamite. (laughs) That being said. Crossover! Crossover! (laughs) That being said, it's a very good read. Unfortunately, you do have to have read the previous issues to really uh, get and appreciate what's going on in this. So because of the weird release schedule um, and the fact that this seems to, again, have come out so much later, the art is fantastic. The story is, is good and it's well-paced, but because it's something you just can't jump onto, I can't give dynamite uh, entertainment's Lone Ranger number 22, a super high rating, but I can't give it three and a half slices of meatloaf. And I'm giving it that extra slice mainly because they were able to squeeze in yet another Green Hornet reference into the into the dynamite uh, pantheon of books. Well, it's the first time in a long time that the Hornet and the Ranger have been under the same roof, metaphorically speaking. Right, right. Because right. the people that own the Ranger and the people that now own the Hornet, generally never the main shall tweet. Yes. Um, which is what happens, I think, if you accidentally get a bird in your horse. Never mind. <laughs> but what's uh, interesting to me is I don't think there actually are green hornets no i don't think so either i can look it up on the uh the face i don't face. i don't think they actually exist i think that well and the only reason i know this is that my daughter will tell you if daddy sees a wasp he'll scream like a little girl 
All right, but, man, man. <laughs> give us a breakdown of, uh, of break what it down. you read da, this da, week. Da, 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 da. I read a lot of comic books, Stephen. You did. One of which was from the year 2000 that I got on the interweb. What? People should watch for a retro review of it. But one of my favorite books this week. <laughs> there is no such thing as like a Green Hornet. Why do you think? I, I feel like I'm doing a seventh grade book review. And then I read this, and then this I happened, read, and then this happened, and then the end. A couple of years ago, a man named Jeff Parker. Yes, I went to high school um, with him. Jeff, you went to Jeff Parker? Cool. Not probably Jeff, this Jeff Parker, though. Jeff Parker is one of Marvel's... Um, at this point, he's not one of the super high top-tier writers, but he's one of my favorites because he tends to really, really revitalize whatever he touches. And he took the characters from a one-off issue of What If... From mm-hmm. 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they were basically Marvel's, several Marvel characters who were printed by Red Circle slash Marvel slash Atlas Comics right. back in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Marvel Boy, uh, Venus, uh, the Gorilla Man, put them all together in a book called Agents of Atlas, which was one of Marvel's stronger middle tier books. And then it seemed like last year it went on hiatus. And I was afraid it would not come back because my last favorite book that went on hiatus was Immortal Iron Fist. But they've recently relaunched it as Atlas. And there's a cool story that I'll tell you when I'm done here. This is issue two of Atlas. Didn't that guy get in, ripped in half? Yeah, no. In the initial appearance. Who am I thinking? Dark Atlas? Um, I don't Who know. Who got ripped in half by Sentry? Uh, that was Ares. Oh, Ares. Okay. But thanks for playing, and you'll be going home with some lovely parting. <laughs> and people wonder Fake Rodrigo, why I, tell him what he's won. You've won the year's supply of turtle racks, the San Francisco <laughs> treat. All right, please now, continue. Meanwhile, back in what I'm actually saying, the initial issue, the initial appearance of the Agents of Atlas when they were the 1950s Avengers featured another Marvel character who was retconned in, a man known as the 3D Man. <laughs> Best character ever. The 3D Man <laughs> was not initially part of Agents of Atlas because he was a retcon 50s hero and not a real 50s hero. This issue and the previous one are bringing the 3D Man into the Atlas thing. And there's a mystery because the new 3D Man, Delroy Garrett, remembers a mission with the Agents of Atlas that A, he wasn't there for, it was the previous 3D Man, and B, the rest of the Agents don't remember either. Most of this issue is Delroy Garrett, the new 3D man and the agents of Atlas going through their memories and trying to figure out why they remember this story that some of them know didn't happen. Okay. And it's, it's really kind of fascinating because the characters themselves are just this weird amalgam. Um, the former Marvel boy now calling himself the Uranian. <laughs> He's from Uranus. <laughs> Is this weird alien <laughs> telepath and Venus, who's a siren with the powers of a goddess, and Namora, who's Prince Namor's cousin, and M11, who is this silent killer robot, and Gorilla Man, who's actually the most normal character in the bunch. Yeah. As well as their leader, Jimmy Woo, who fought the Yellow Claw back in the 1950s. They're all fascinating characters, and it's weird to see this new character interacting with them, but it really works. 
And okay. the 3D man, the 3D man works in this context. The story is pretty fascinating. We still don't know why they remember this. Who messed with their memories? If somebody messed with their enemy, with their memories. <laughs> but it's a really, really wonderful book. The art is phenomenal. Uh, the initial, the front story is by a gentleman named Gabriel Hardman. Okay. I'm not familiar with his work, but it's got a very gritty kind of, I don't know, almost abstract pointillistic feel to it. Mm -hmm. There's a backup story by a different artist that's equally interesting, set in the 1950s, which is something else that's neat to me. that They're filling in the backstory mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't feel like they're constantly retconning. Oh, yeah. It's like they're telling us, here's what you never saw in the original I, 1950s Agents of Atlas Yeah, title. see, I, I like that kind of stuff when they do that, when they expand the, the story as opposed to rewriting the story. Mm -hmm. And they're not really, since these are characters who aren't really high profile, mm -hmm. they're not really having to rewrite a lot. They're taking what we know and they're filling in the gaps. Marvel Boy had his own series in 1951 and then didn't appear again until 70 or 79 or so when he supposedly died in an issue of Fantastic Four. So there's a lot of unaccounted for time. And Parker's scripts are just so great. Each character is unique and weird. And you don't want to like them. They're almost not heroic. And then they're so likable. They're so entertaining that you have to go, okay, this is actually cooler than, you know, an Avengers team with Marvel's biggest seven heroes, at least for me. Because you know that they can't really do anything with Captain America that's new and different. Right. Gorilla Man, on the other hand, you know, you could have Gorilla Man all of a sudden have 16 ex-wives, little gorilla babies, and a what? box full of cheese and have it make sense. They didn't do that. <laughs> but you can. And I, I really like that. Agents of Atlas was one of my favorite books. Atlas is still way up there. This issue, four out of five slices of meatloaf. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, there's a quote on the front cover that I think sums it all up. And it says, this is how you do it. This Excellent. is good comics. This is really good comics. And I really like the fact that they're bringing one of my favorite heroes back. Is that a, a who, that I already who, made, who made that quote? Um, it's from a competing site. Oh, okay. I thought maybe it was you. Cause you know, they've quoted. I wish it was. Published. I'm going to now start trying to every, every review I write, I'm just going to put something in there that somebody can snip out and put in a snippet. Well, I, it's up to me <laughs> when I send them the updates because Marvel doesn't generally just check the site to see the reviews but right. so we have to actually send them stuff but uh you know i want to be hey, the you equivalent know, of that made-up guy who uh would said great things about movies that sucked what was his name <laughs> i don't remember <laughs> matthew says four thumbs up yes uh yeah that's all you have to do is just give everything really high ratings and praise and and uh, people will take notice don't say Sad anything bad too, about anybody i'm too big of a geek to lie Oh, well, so I'll see, tell but, you, this is a good series, and I love this series, and if I ever find a series that I hate with a passion, or as I like to call it, Hal Jordan. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, that's I mean that's good that we do that, because then when people know that we're giving stuff, you know, three and a half rating, they know that it's good, but not super great, or if they see something that's a four-star rating, that's, you know, high praise, but we're not afraid to hand out a one-star or no-star review or meatloaf review if if the book is deserving of that and I think we've done that many times so I think that tells you about uh, the thought that we put into a lot of these books and I think that we have uh, with limited responsibility comes limited power 
or the other way around. We have very limited power, but I feel like there's a responsibility to review something honestly. Right. And say, you know, this is what's great about this. And here are things that I feel are opportunities. It's just like in my day job, I have to tell people in a nice way, you suck at this. Let's fix it. So you got that going for you, which is nice. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for that, Matthew. And again, listeners, you can head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. It's a super busy week for me, so you're not going to see as much output on the site as I want. But we're still getting some good reviews up there. We've got sneak peeks. We've got uh, news stories that are going on. Plenty of reason to head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. And once the reviews are over... It's a time! <laughs> I, Rodrigo! Fake, fake Rigo! Fake Rigo. Taken over the opening <laughs> of the ball of the week because I am tired of it being a silly anticlimactic mess or a 15-minute monologue. No! I, Fake Rigo, say... Ball of the week. All right, everybody. You know what? We know that everybody has their favorite thing. For Matthew, it's the Legion of Superheroes and Pizza Pie. For Steven, uh, it might be Mika Tan and Charmaine Oops. Star. Uh... <laughs> But it might be mashed potatoes for you. It might be chicken nuggets, Pepsi, Coke, whatever. But around this time each year, and you guys will find out more next weekend, we like to take a moment and reflect on where we've come from, where we're going, and really look at the complete major spoilers experience. And so this week, we're kind of doing a uh, like asking you what you like and what you don't sit like. right there. And tell you how we became the prince of the major spoilers podcast <laughs> on the air. Do, 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 do. Oh, you see, I got in a fight. My mom got scared. She sent me to a place called Hayes, Kansas. Good in boy. Western Kansas, <laughs> born and raised. On a tractor is where I spent most of my days. <laughs> okay, so what we're doing this week is we're asking you, the listeners, and I'm actually going to probably include something uh, over at Critical Hit, that podcast, to send people over. Because when you ask on the website, hey, uh, what do you like to the best about the website? Well, or what do you like boast, best about the major spoilers experience? People are looking at it on the, on the website. They're probably going to vote for the website. But uh, we'll see what happens. There's a website? There's actually a website, Majorspoilers.com. Perhaps I haven't mentioned it yet in this show. Uh, so this week we asked you to pick out what is your favorite part of the major spoilers experience. We have so much that's packaged into the major spoilers experience. We've got, of course, the major spoilers website, the major spoilers podcast that you're listening to now, critical hit a major spoilers, dungeons and dragons podcast. We've got the major spoilers forums, the major spoilers adventures that come out every Friday. We've got major spoilers live, which I think people are not understanding what Major Spoilers Live is, the Major Spoilers Twitter feed, and the Major Spoilers on Facebook, MySpace, and all those other places. <laughs> Matthew, what's your favorite part of, of Major Spoilers? We also had an option for uh, Heck, It's Great. I love every bit of it, and I'm a member of the complete experience. As, as, as someone commented, there's no option for The Matthew Show. I think that was you that commented that. <laughs> I said someone. <laughs> I... <laughs> Um, given the fact that I, I actually probably spend more time in and about major spoilers than I do with my wife, my child, or actually oh, with on, don't give my wife child. more fuel for the fire. Well, you know, it, you have to look at it from the perspective of, yeah, no. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I chose, heck, it's all great. Of As spoken like Sally Struthers in 1987. <laughs> sure, we all do. But that's partially because as an insider, as a secret master of the major spoilers, the thingima, 
I feel like, you know, there, there are parts of the experience that's, that many people love and parts that many people go, Oh, I can deal with that. But to really, you know, to really live the major spoilers experience, I'm actually tempted to go on Twitter. I won't do it because I'm, you know, a hipster anti doofus <laughs> or maybe an anti hipster doofus, but you're all um, in that facey space though. Oh, I loves me some facey space. Because I work with a whole lot of women in their late 20s, and they have pictures on... Never mind. <laughs> but <clears throat> in any case, the firewall doesn't let through the porn sites anymore. <laughs> in any case, I chose It's All Great because I feel like we are a part of the complete major spoilers experience. E-A-T, complete yes. major spoilers experience. Yes, I do like the major spoilers complete experience myself. I am a part of that and uh, love every minute of it. I was saying the other day over on the Twitter, man, I would really wish that uh, we were making enough money off of this site so you and I could quit our day jobs and really everybody, Rodrigo and Victoria and Brian and Sam and Stacy and Brian, D&D Brian and Scroll Brian. Another Brian. <laughs> Brian, Brian. Brian, 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 your cousin Brian, all those people. So Life could, of Brian, Brian Griffin. <laughs> Right, hey, Michael Bendis. Uh, so that we could all quit our jobs and do this full time. And someone said, oh, you know, this is major spoilers is just your escapism. If you were doing this full time, you'd hate it. And the answer, quite frankly, is no, no, I wouldn't. You know, the, the, the tag on the side is we know that you love comics and we do, too. We love comics a lot to, to the point where even though there are days and there have been days in the last couple of weeks where I've sat down and I've said, really, is this what I really want to do? Is this what I want to to look at and think about and do 24 hours a day? And the answer is yes, because I'm finding such great enjoyment and entertainment and there are things that we want to do that we can't do. Matthew has seen hints of it. We were talking in the beginning of the show about it. Fake Rigo yeah. has seen hints. We've got Dante in the background scribbling furiously. Hints. We've got a couple of interns right now with us who are working on some great, wonderful things. <laughs> if we only had more time, if we could quit those rotten nine to fives, or in Matthew's cases, 10 to 7.30s. Uh, actually, right now, it's a 12 to 11, two days a week, and a 9.15 to 7.45, <laughs> others. I think we would be able to do some great, wonderful, awesome things than what we're doing now. But, you know, people <coughs> like uh, uh, Dragon Sky, the, the snarky review guy, he said, with the exception of the, uh, the live show, which I can only assume is major spoilers on ice, I love everything right. that you guys do. Um Navarre says that I have to go with the major spoilers for him. It spins, seems like a home to him, and probably because he spends probably 95% of his day on the forums. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nav Navarre actually makes me feel good about my internet habits sometimes because I go, <laughs> you know, I, I love the boy, but wow, I don't spend that much time on major spoilers. <laughs> well, I like it that we can make mistakes and people will uh, quickly point out our mistakes and, and tell us where yes. we're wrong. But that's okay, too, because we you know, we're all pointed out in this in the spirit of making the site better and not in the spirit of ha ha got your nose, Steve. Uh, well, it depends on who you're talking about. Uh, Litany that's of Thieves true. says, while I have a soft spot for critical hit, which is how I discovered major spoilers, I have to say what makes you guys stand out is the whole experience. I love opening up Twitter in the morning, reading news stories, then heading over to the forums for our discussion. And on Wednesdays and Saturdays, I sync my iPod with the latest episodes of the, of the podcast. Uh, every part of major spoilers reflects your love of comics and pop culture. Um, though, if you guys start doing a major spoilers on ice, I'm out. Sorry, not my thing. Okay. Seriously, folks, I weigh 375 pounds. <laughs> I have a bad knee and my feet point outwards. If you ever get me on ice skates, I will die. <laughs> well, I so also if like you ever see me on skates, you'll know that it's all over. Well, and I know people are going to say, oh, you guys just talked about how great Major Spoilers is and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, we do what we do, and I don't, I don't want to say that, you know, I don't quantify 
our quality of work. I don't think we do that good of a job, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I think we can do better, and we're always trying to do better. But what I do like is when we can affect somebody in some way, such as uh, Toronto Frog, who says, I'm new to the major spoilers experience as I was brought on by Critical Hit. So I have to cast my vote for the D&D podcast. However, I'm starting to explore other parts of the experience. The Major Spoilers podcast is good and even made me buy Scrooge McDuck, the first comic or trade I bought in decades. That's the kind of stuff that I like to hear right there. Yeah. I, I like to think that we're helping the comic industry by pointing you to really, really good comics. Um, if Let's see. Anybody else who stands out here? Yep, got to be the podcast, says Rome. There are lots of websites out there, but only one major spoilers podcast. The podcast is what truly adds to the human touch to the entire experience. Website's great. Otter's major spoilers adventures are gold. Critical hit is fun, but the podcast is what ties it all together. Without a doubt, what keeps me coming back? Matthew yeah, major said, spoilers adventures have been on a huge, huge run lately. Oh, yeah, yeah. Matthew says, there's no option for the Mashu show. Weak dude. <laughs> that's a and wise man there. to which rico <laughs> says i believe that the political reasons and to avoid lawsuits and steven's jealousy it was referred to as simply the major spoilers podcast which is winning by the way so how uh just how the rigo and his puppets what does that say and how the rodrigo and his puppet and show his is puppets called show yes. oh okay basically uh, the rodrigo show is oh okay critical hit the Major Spoilers podcast is the Matthew show, and the website is Stephen going, look at me, too! <laughs> Trying to compete with the others. I'm so jealous, Matthew. <laughs> See, this is why I love these shows, because we actually, we are nicer to each other without a third party. Well, a couple beers it's, help, too, so. Well, it's kind of like when your kids, you know, they go out and they're perfectly behaved in front of strangers, and then you bring them oh, home, and they're yes. like, Amy! I don't know. If, is your kid that way? Because my kid is totally that way. Mine is completely that way. I picked her up today and she's like, thank you. I had a very good day. And then, and then we get in the car and she's like, <laughs> my kid to a T. So it's not just my kid that's strange. But then again, it's Matthew and Steven that are talking here. So there you go. That's true. And our, I mentioned our pools are somewhat shallow and unchlorinated. I made a joke about a uh, comment about drinking a couple of beers and people are going to say, well, you were drinking a couple of beers last week. I think Steven's an alcoholic and I'm going to start getting letters and emails. Don't worry. Not an alcoholic. The only time I drink is when I'm around Matthew. So there And it go. should also be noted that Steven is a high functioning alcoholic <laughs> and it's the reason why the, the flash has a, ru a rouge gallery. <laughs> I don't drink while I'm writing, damn it. <laughs> Just he only drinks when he's conscious or on days that end in Y. <laughs> Matthew, what's uh, what's the rating right now? Right now, 146 votes in, which is nearly half. Um, <laughs> half, half of, of the what? Ones it should I be. Numerically speaking, I'm, I'm hosed. I've got 84% IR. Anyway, <laughs> your favorite part of the major spoilers experience, 36% say the major spoilers podcast. Yeah, that's and not bad. I think the last hour or so should probably convince many of them that they voted absolutely wrong. 25% uh, voted for the website itself. 19% critical hit, which is a fabulous showing, I think by the way. It really is. I really enjoy the heck out of that show. And uh, almost oh boy, cool. I can't. You guys, listeners of Critical Hit, are going to be in for a treat as we hit the end of season two and we start a very special series of, I think it's going to be four or five episodes <laughs> that people have been asking for. So before we get uh, into I, season three. I, I do have one interesting thing going on. 18% have said it's all great, 
1% each for the forums, MSAs, Major Spoiler Adventures, Major Spoilers Live, 0% say the Twitter feed, negative 1% of the vote. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. How does that, how does that happen? Not, that's not even possible. <laughs> that's like somebody took away their vote. This is not, is this is not how math works, Stephen. That's <laughs> how this math works. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. I could see that. I could see if you had one vote for the major spoilers Twitter feed and no votes for space uh, Facebook. Spacey space. That it, it actually, could that it could mathematically work out to, to be a negative number. Facebook is so unpopular that it had to create an imaginary number. <laughs> Somebody said, "Hey, also, what about what about the major spoilers uh, MySpace?" And I said, "Yeah, it's there, but do people actually use MySpace anymore? I don't know." If, 15-year-old girls and those who are trolling for 15-year-old oh, well, girls. what the hell? I'm on the wrong what Facebook. I'm heading back over to MySpace. No, we do have you a MySpace just, No, experience. you want grown women who look like 15-year-old girls, Stephen, and that's an important differentiation MySpace.com slash major spoilers. Let's see if I, I really honestly haven't checked this site in a long You've time. You've been friend requested by 700 women named Tiffany. Um, Various I, had, I honestly thought we had the uh, the feed was still working, but I guess it's not. Uh, at one point, we had the feed running to where you could see what the updates were on the MySpace page, but it's still there. I'm sure we've got some people that want to be friends, but purr. Yeah, MySpace. I don't like Tom. Tom scares me. <laughs> yeah. All right, listeners, we just need to shut up, Matthew. Let's move on. We're going to take a break. If you'd like to vote for what your part of the, the favorite part of the Major Spoilers experience is, click on the link in the show notes or head over to Majorspoilers.com and uh, cast your vote today. Last week, boy, we had over, I think, 600-some people voted for the Red Superman, Blue Superman, Worst Event Ever poll of the week. Worst I, Event Ever. I want to see that many people uh, voting in this poll by next week. Okay, everybody. And vote we, for the Matthew Show. <laughs> we love that people contribute via the, uh, the Skypey phone number hotline thing. We're going to take a listen to that, and we'll be right back. Hey, Major Spoilerites. I'm Rodrigo, and I'm way out here in the far corners of Kansas. Um, actually, pretty pretty far. This is, like, about where Kansas and Oklahoma and, like, New Mexico and I think, like, Montana and Connecticut all, all meet. Um, but anyway, um, I just had to call you guys and tell Stephen and Matthew that I totally, for real, just met somebody named Justice. Just saying, there actually is somebody named Justice out there, and you can cry for him. All right, guys, catch you later. My name is the Dexter 102, speaking with his voice into this microphony thing in front of me to give you a 61-second review of Shrek the First with Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy. Ooh. So here we go, Shrek the First in 61 seconds, starting from now. Okay, basic plot of Shrek. We have an ogre. Fairy tale creatures get dumped in his swamp, which he's very proud of, by the local baron. He goes and confronts the local baron, and the local baron says, I will give you your swamp back if you go and capture this princess, which he wants to marry to make him a king. And of course, he captures the princess, saves her from the dragon. Hilarity ensues. There's a jive talking sidekick donkey. Funny, 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 ha ha ha. And actually, it's funny, funny, ha ha ha. That sounded really sarcastic, but it really is. Listen to the dialogue, listen to the exchanges, especially between Shrek and Donkey. Very funny, very irony laden it reminds me of the dialogue in the simpsons very much because it's very ironic it's very sharp and if you listen to it again you really get the jokes and those little scenes that nobody remembers like the robin hood scene who can remember that that's inherently forgettable it's not as good as the ogres are like onions scene but it's 
just perfectly pitched and it's so well made. And yes, the animation looks outdated now because we've got so much fancy digital effects, but that's the price you pay. So all in all, I give it four slices of meatloaf. Okay, so down the line, this does mean we are going to get review of Shrek the 19th and Toy Story 3, neither in 3D. Just warning you. Get on the forums. You can tell me if how wrong or how right I am. And bloody, 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 peace out. Oh boy, thank you so much, everybody, for contributing to the Major Spoilers experience, even if you're just contributing in the uh, podcast form. Experience. I know. I know everybody is contributing in some minor way. If you would like to contribute, we really love getting the voicemails. <laughs> we love getting the audio comments. If you want to email an audio comment, you can send it to question at, uh, or I'm sorry, podcast at majorspoilers.com. Or if you'd like to just call the hotline and voice your thoughts and concerns about what's going on in the world, all you need to do is call that number at... 785-727-1939, the Major Spoilers. All right, enough with all the crazy joking that we've been doing around for the last hour. Let's talk some serious stuff. Let's talk about Starman... Volume 2, the Starman Omnibus Volume 2, which covers, <laughs> man, I didn't realize that this book, this series was that old. Mm-hmm. This goes all that this series covers um, Showcase 95, number 12, right. Starman 17 through 29, Showcase 96, 4 and 5, and the Starman Annual Number 1, all published between 1996 and 1997. This Starman series spun out of Zero Hour. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And I do, I think I remember reading maybe the first issue of Starman. Back in the day, and just for some reason not liking it and didn't continue from that. But man, mm. this, I have just fallen in love with this Starman series, and I love having these bound omnibus hardcovers on the shelf because they look so freaking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I read the original issues. Um, I read the original <laughs> issues when they first came out. Um, well, you never send me free review copies of the album. I do too. Come on. Okay, not this time. Okay, there's a problem, though, that I see in, well, let's let's talk, I don't know if we want to talk individual stories, if we want to talk themes and ideas and things that flow through these chapters, but one well, thing- Well, I think I know where you're going here. One thing that really we- bothers me about this series is, you know, last time uh, in the volume one, we're really seeing Jack Knight develop as a hero. We're seeing his adventures play off of one another, one right after the other, and- he becomes this big hero in that big climactic uh, series. You know, the the day I think is what it was called. That series wasn't it called the day, and it was the, the five issues that were retold again and again and again from everybody's different points of view, and how it all came together in that final issue. Uh, mm-hmm. I forget what it was called, but I'm pretty sure it was something. Sins like that. of the child, but each oh, each okay. thing was it was like Ted's day, right, right, Michael's right. day, right. And I thought that that was really good. However, this collection, it seems at the beginning so freaking scattered. Here we've got a Shade story that then leads into a, uh, a Jack Knight Starman story, and then that pops into this Mist storyline that's going on, and then all of a sudden it jumps into the Starman number 19, which is the uh, birthday meeting the dead brother issue, and then it pops to this weird Wesley, or um, I'm sorry, Shade and Dr. Fate uh two-issue adventure, and then a Wesley Dodds adventure, the Sandman in in New York, and then it finally comes back around to what's going on with the main story. It just seemed to be really a lot of scattered stories. I mean, they're all really good stories, but in a grand continuity, it just seemed like kablamicus, you know, just shoot it out there and see where it lands. Starman was not a 
it was not told chronologically. And one of the things that Robinson created early on were <laughs> the times past issue. And I think right. in like the first 10 issues, it's just like, here's something that happened in 1954 or whenever right. that, that informs the story that we're telling today, which mm-hmm. I think is brilliant mm-hmm. rather than doing like a flashback to a story that never happened. Each story had its own issue. Right. If, my issue is that Sins of the Child Part 5 is at the beginning of this trade, mm-hmm. or this this omnibus. Sins of the Child Parts 1 through 4 were in the previous omnibus, and it seems like a really awkward place to pick up. Oh, no, no. 5 is in five is in that one, too, because it ends. The first, oh, one in, it? first one in this one is Innocent In and Out, uh, Innocent In and Old Haunt. Or I'm sorry, Incident oh, never in mind. an Old Haunt. Never mind. It's uh, Showcase 95, number 12, which, again, okay. isn't part of the Starman continuity. But I think right. it's included in here because it is a Robinson um, story about the Starman character, the Jack Knight character. Is, and, Jack's, is Jack's Day issue 16 in this collection? Because uh, I thought it Starman was. Starman 17 is the first Starman issue in this oh, okay. collection. Never mind. I'm an idiot. Yeah, Let's yeah. go. All right. Yay. We like cheese. <laughs> because Matthew's reading the original. Uh, I am. I'm not. I'm I, I looked it up. You sent me the information. Right, I'm right, like, right, okay, right. I'm going to read these issues. Right. The problem, I dug up my Starman box. I guess maybe it is the problem because they're including the showcase uh, issues, these uh, three issues from uh, showcase, and the Starman annual number one that maybe it feels all broken up that way. And had they only been the Starman issues, maybe it would have uh, felt a little bit more coherent. But, you know, it starts off with Neuron making an appearance. And, man, Neuron, that entire... You know, DC has some very good events. That Neuron thing was not. Neuron to me is nothing more than a, a, a puke green Mephisto. Well, the big thing was because they started using that fancy green ink. And that was the whole thing yeah. with that. Well, that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with creating a character solely to show off your your new ink. That, that to me makes sense. But the fact that Neuron was used... Basically, to give the DC universe an equivalent to Mephisto, right? Right. But the the shade portion of the story is actually quite good, right? And oh, yeah. you know the the whole thing with the shade at this point in time was the shade had been around for literally decades. He was an old school Jay Garrick foe from the forties, mm-hmm. and this is the first time that you know somebody went and looked at the shade and did something with him. It didn't make him a hero. Right. But took the shade and put him in this context where you look at his life. Mm-hmm. And I like the way that it, you know, establishes his. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's a particularly weird thing in that a lot of comics have influences from, like, say, Alex Raymond or from Pulps. And the shade's influence just screams Oliver Twist. It's all about. It's all about Victorian England and Charles Dickens with four M's and a silent Q. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's fascinating to see that unusual perspective. But what Robinson does in this book is he gives everybody a personality and peccadilloes. And, you know, at one point there's this minor villain who shows up and collects Bakelite radios. (laughs) And by taking that moment of having this villain show up in town, and the first thing he does is case the bank, and the second thing he does is go looking for Bakelite radios for his collection. Yeah. That kind of thing is fascinating. Yep. And when it's done well, it works really well. The problem that comes is there are times 
when um, it becomes sort of a shorthand. Mm-hmm. Instead of telling us something meaningful about, you know, say, this particular character, it te- we find out what their weird thing is. You know, oh, he collects cheese sandwiches. Right, right. But most of, most of the time it works. I really enjoy the fact that after seeing the new Mist and the new Starman, we have the Times Past issue that goes back and looks at the very first time that Starman, the original Starman, Ted Knight... Mm-hmm. Who is at the Hall of Justice? <laughs> fought the original Mist. And, <laughs> not that you know, Ted Knight, you idiot. Not that Ted Knight. <laughs> Merry welcome. <laughs> but you know, it's um, it's interesting to take that and just in the middle of the storyline. Well, in the middle of this modern story, all of a sudden it's 1941, right? And Ted Knight's a hero again, and everything. You know it. It's fascinating to see the backstory of not just Starman, not just the Mist, but a lot of the characters of Opal City, who, mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, Opal City is a character unto itself yeah, in this I wanna, whole book. I want to talk about that later, too, because I, I just find that city fascinating. But you're right. I, I think it's interesting that we go back because in the whole uh, series where the the new Mist is killing the city and destroying the city and essentially taking it hostage, she wants to find something. And she can't find it. So that causes Jack to go and try to discover the, the history of the mist. And so we find out more about uh, Ted. We find out more about the mist. We find out that at one point that, you know, the mist wasn't called the mist until he came to Opal City. And he actually had adventures in New York City, which prompts Jack to go uh, go to New York and meet uh, Wesley Dodds, the original Sandman, and and have an adventure with him that's kind of in a weird way, a very pulpy adventure full of airships that uh, are set to uh, to crash into the into the ground and having to rescue people and kind of a kind of a rocketeer kind of vibe to it. Um, mm-hmm. And and so I find I found that very interesting because then by the time that we finish and and really this whole issue between the mist, the new mist, and and Jack Knight is mm-hmm. that she wants to best him. She's like saying, "Hey, you and I are the same," and. And whatever you do, I can do. And and in the end of this story, it turns out that that Jack actually does something to the old, frail, uh, Alzheimer uh, mist to make him actually feel good for a moment, and mm-hmm. actually shows the new mist that he's actually maybe a little bit better than she is. And that's, I mean, that's one of the themes that you'll see in Robinson's work: the moment where. Just this this average person shows that they have something better inside or something, mm-hmm. you know, something really good and truly human inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even David talking with the talking with David issues. David was a very minor character who appeared in yeah, the 90s, which is showed up in one a, issue. Well, actually, he showed up earlier than that when oh, um, <clears throat> when they had the glow in the dark pink and blacks, uh, you know, disco bondage star man. Oh, OK. The, yeah. yeah. Late eighties. Sure. David showed up there and tried to take the Starman name back and he was a putz. Yeah. He was this hateful little schmuck who was being manipulated by the original Mist to try and take back his father's legacy. And so he was Starman for a while. There's actually they actually make reference to that in one of the later issues. I think it's the final issue in this volume, where um they're all sitting around talking about, oh, yeah, I remember this mist and then this guy and this guy. And, oh, there was a mist on another – I'm sorry, a star man on another planet that uh, Superman or Valor may have met, but he never came to Earth, so we can't count him. He died too, and they're just going down through the lineage of all the star men. And, uh, you know, that's kind of cool, I think, in that in that sense. 
But uh, yeah, I do like the the birthday conversations with with my dead brother yeah. issues. The, the the talking with David issues are fascinating because they take David and they make him a completely three dimensional character, mm-hmm. but they also put him. They they don't ever take him away from being kind of a gaudy jerk. Right. They don't ever take him away from being the kind of guy who wanted to go out and you know grab his dad's legacy and make it his and blah 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 blah. But they humanize him so much, and they make him sympathetic. They make him someone that you kind of – you look at him in his afterlife, whatever his afterlife is, and you kind of go, if you got to go, that's a, not a bad way to do it. Right. You know, if this, is, if this is what the afterlife is really like, whatever, Right. that's not a bad way to do it. And I love the fact, especially in this book, that James Robinson can take a character – like that and give it such depth and give it life well I, which is hmm. why cry for justice was so depressing <laughs> yeah but <clears throat> i guess i have a i have an issue and a concern that you know the mist is not a good character right he's a bad guy he's a villain mm-hmm. and yet at the end of his story of the old mist story you actually kind of feel a little sympathy for the guy mm-hmm. and likewise we see the shade who you know for the longest time as a villain, but in Robinson's hand is kind of the, the hero who just wants to be left alone or, or does things for his own purpose. And now that he's in Opal city, he actually wants to do good. And there's something that changes in him to make him want to be a good character. And then we get in the final uh, issue of, of this uh, collection, we get, uh, what's his name? Bobo. Um, Jake Benetti. <laughs> Do not call him Bobo. He this, hates Bobo. This super strong meta person who used to knock over banks and has been in jail this entire time, who is really comes out of jail and he says, you know what? I don't like being out in the real world. I'd rather be back in my cell. And he goes to rob a bank and he stumbles onto the um, the Royal Flush Gang and he and Starman take him out together and he decides, hey, I'm going to be good. This actually could be a good thing for me to be a good person instead of a bad person. Yeah. Uh, that I, seems to be happening a lot. Was was the was the seventies uh, uh, blue star man? Was he a bad guy at one point? I don't know enough. The seventies the seventies blue star man appeared exactly once before this series. Okay, his only appearance was in first issue special. I want to say issue seven, and it sets him up and it sets up his life. And at the end of that issue, he's like, "I will, I will fight the villain," and then he never comes back. Ah, okay. So pretty much everything that we know about Michael Thomas or Michael Thomas, I don't know how you pronounce alien languages. Michael Thomas. Well, there's just a, there's one of these panels in here where it shows that he's fighting or it looks like he's fighting the Martian Manhunter. That's why I didn't know if he was at one point yeah. considered a villain before he decided to turn good. But what is it about he Robinson taking, appeared. what is it about Robinson that's taking these villains and turning them into sympathetic good guys? I mean, I think it's more about, I think it's it, it's more about the fact that no, no real person is entirely good or entirely evil. I think mm-hmm. what he's saying is looking at these characters and looking at them, what we think of as evil is really a series of decisions. I mean, right. there aren't a lot of people where, you know, you and I in the real world don't interact with a lot of people that you immediately say they are evil. Now, I have a couple of people at my office who I think might be stupid or cruel or petty or venal, but right. I don't think of them as evil people. They're people who make bad choices and maybe have poor personal skills. Mm-hmm. But if you look at, say, The Mist, what did The Mist want to do? The Mist wanted to make money so that he could support his family, and pretty much that's it. And he was going to do it by 
robbing people yeah. and committing crimes to do it. But if you look in this issue, there's an issue or a moment where Jack Knight calls up his old girlfriend for a booty call. And right. it's a very selfish, right, not right. very heroic moment for right, him. Right. But it's real and it's the kind of thing that people do. And I think that but, heroes heroes having bad days and villains having good days are really part a whole part of what Robinson is trying to say. Well, and I think that's really kind of weird because here's this mischaracter that really is a bad guy. And even if he is trying to provide for his family, he's doing it about it a wrong way. But then we hear oh, yeah. this tale of how he charged the German trenches in World War One or whenever mm-hmm. it was and earned an Iron Cross for his valor, for saving people and, and defeating the bad guy. And you're like, wow, OK. And even Jack is taken aback by this tale when he realizes what has happened and says, okay, now I have to have a little bit more sympathy for this character. And I don't know, I guess, you know, you're a bad guy, you're a bad guy. You shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't reform, damn it. But maybe people can. Maybe people can. Jack himself is not immediately likable. Jack himself comes across... And I use the phrase pretty much interchangeably, but here it fits as well as anything. Jack's kind of a hipster doofus. Jack's the guy who grows a goatee because cool people grow grotees. Right. And he he wears his leather jacket in battle because he thinks it looks neat. And he he picks up his father's legacy, not really because he wants to, but because, eh, what else does he have to do? Right. Well, but even even the the character of what Matt O'Dare, you know, mm -hmm. he's this guy that is the corrupt cop in the family, the guy that's working with the mafia. And then we found yep. out, find out as he's being sucked through this devil uh, poster that appeared in the first volume that mm-hmm. he's lived past lives and that he wants to do better. And when he finally confronts the devil, he's more than willing to sacrifice himself to save others. And, you know, all of a sudden he starts to become a redeeming character. And the book is full of, of good redeeming ki- people. That's great. I have no problem with it. But pretty soon right. in the way, and I, I've not read throughout the entire series. We haven't made it up to what issue 84 or whatever, right. how far it went. 80. But pretty, it goes pretty soon. 80. Pretty soon. There's going to be nothing but good guys walking around going, boy, it sure is boring without any bad guys around. What are we going to no, do? No, 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 no. Cause eventually if bad guys all go good, then, then the good, good guys, guys go bad. Yeah. And there's something else. When you look at like Jake Benetti, mm-hmm. his story is not, you know, it's not Lex Luthor, I have a vendetta. It's kind of a guy who made a life decision to try and figure something out. And when I when I hear Benetti's dialogue in my head, you know what I hear? I hear Sinatra circa 1970-something. Yeah. I'm plenty mad at these cupcakes for queering my gig here. <laughs> I feel like yeah. shuffling their deck. Right, right. You know, that, that ring-a-ding-ding thing, you know, he's would hang out with Dean Martin in Las Vegas. Right. I love that dialogue and I love what it does for the character. Just yeah. like Jack being kind of putsy, you know, not being, being really, really insensitive to his dad, being insensitive to his girlfriend. There's a moment where in the, the crossover, the sand and stars crossover. Mm-hmm. Where we see Jack, he's like, I get to go and meet my idol. I get to meet my idol. And I'm like, oh, great. Jack yeah, you're thinking he's like, yeah, you're yeah, thinking he's Jack all didn't about like his dad, Sandman. like the Sandman. Yeah. But it's, it's actually Sandman's wife, Diane, who is apparently a writer. And I love that moment where, yeah. hey, hello, I love you. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that moment of realistic, you know, a starstruck moment is really nice for me. And I feel like, 
from just from a fiction perspective, a lot of times in comic books, there's a tendency, say, with Steve Rogers, because he is such the super patriot and the ultimate motivator and, you know, the boss we all wish we had, the leader of men, he can't really ever seem to have flaws. Mm-hmm. You can't have Steve Rogers, you know, you can't write a story where Steve Rogers is, is a chronic masturbator. You right, can't do right, that. Right, 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 right. Now, you probably can't do that with Jack Knight either. But, you know, there are moments that you can't do with those Paragon characters where, say, Jack, who's just a guy who managed to get in this superpowered gimmickry that Jack can do. And there's a moment uh, where Starman is fighting and the villains might be winning and all of a sudden – a 95-year-old man shows yes. up with a, with a cane and a gas gun. And, a gas gun. <laughs> and bam, shoots the villains with the gas gun. And I'm like, yes, that is so awesome. But yeah. it's also a moment where this is a Golden Age superhero who has no powers, who mm-hmm. aged in real time. Well, but see, so, that's part of the problem that I think causes some conflict in these stories is the Neuron ish- issue again, because... Some of these characters aged, some of them aged a whole lot, some of them didn't age enough, and they point out that, hey, here's Ted uh, um, Ted Grant, the Wildcat, who didn't age. Here is uh, Starman, who only aged a little bit. Here's Wesley Dodds, who's, you know, pushing 90 or whatever in this book, and, you know, they kind of I, – I, these big DC events, I think, sometimes have or can have a negative impact into the story and universe that you're creating, and I just have a feeling right. that that event – touch this book in maybe the wrong way. Well, there have been many attempts to explain why the golden age heroes have aged the way they have. Right. Um, uh, Ted Grant has now retroactively been discovered to have superpowers. Mm -hmm. And um, Ted Knight. Oh, hello, Mary. All of justice. (laughs) Meanwhile, in Gotham city, Ted Knight was dealing with this, you know, magical energy that reinvigorates things. And Wesley Dodds was just an old man with a gas gun. So I can suspend my disbelief, just like Jay Garrick and Alan Scott are 90 years old now. They have to be. They They were at least 18 in 1938. They were at least 18. So 70 years down the line, they're 90. But Alan Scott writing it. It can't be. It can't be 90. Alan Scott has spent. Literally decades, 50 years at least, manipulating magical energy from beyond, whereas Jay Garrick mainline speed. Right. Wait, no, I should probably put that <laughs> another way. Hey, Jay Garrick is tied to this, inter- you know, this dimension. I like the fact that Wes was allowed to age. Ted right. Knight was allowed to age. And especially here in this world of greys where Jack isn't, you know, super paragon character and nobody in this book, even – you know, even the Shade, who is essentially immortal and, and for all intentions, all powerful in Opal City, isn't, you know, this character who is black and white amazing. So if you only read Starman, mm-hmm. you can look at this and you can see they explain to you what Wesley Dodds represents. Right. What Wesley Dodds is, who Wesley Dodds is. But it puts it to where in the context of this story – Having him get old is not the end of the world. Well, but what's really interesting in this part, though, is that uh, Jack spends some time after after he meets Wesley for the first time and he's stalking out maybe this apparent killer. Um, he's sitting there thinking, man, I really don't want to go old and I want to go out at the right time and I want to go out 
you know, kind of the, the George Costanza, leave them, leave them, you know, wanting more. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's not in a weird way. And maybe Robinson wasn't intending to do that. But in a weird way, if he wasn't telegraphing to the to the reader, hey, at some point this series is going to end and Jack Knight Starman is not coming back. And because I want you to leave it with here is this legacy that I've set up. Here's what you can enjoy and you can go back and enjoy it again and again. But as as Robinson has said at uh, at many conventions, he has no interest in bringing this character back and telling any more Starman stories. Right. And, and I wonder if that's not what he's subtly trying to say, even if he doesn't know he's saying it himself at this point in the book. Well, and I do believe, I want to say that really, relatively early on in the run, Robinson intended for this to be the the Vertigo Starman or Sandman model, rather. Mm-hmm. The, the closed-loop story, where he would tell a finite tale, and, and he great. would write all of it. And I think that, you know, that... That moment is certainly the first time that it is telegraphed, mm-hmm. but not the only time that it's telegraphed what's ha- what's about to happen. Right. There are several moments later on in the book where it's very clear that they're saying, hey, this whole Jack thing is going to have an end. Yes. Um, but, are, are, by chance, by chance, are you on the page where um, we see Diane B- Belmont for the first time? Issue 22? Yes, where he, she's I standing sure at the door, be, and he's sitting there going... Dup, 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 dup. Let me find issue 22. Hang on. Tell no, wait, me, it's issue 20. Tell me that that, uh, that does not like look like uh, Scarlett Johansson aged. That does not look like Scarlett Johansson. I think it looks exactly like Scarlett Johansson if she was 95 years old. I think that it's supposed to look like somebody specific... Famous from the forties. Okay, I just see Scarlett Johansson but when I look at the smile and the eyes and everything, and and you I, see Scarlett Johansson everywhere. Well, and to tell you the truth, you know who I would like if this uh, Jack Knight Starman were ever to be a real movie. Oh, you know who I'd like to see, and I know people are going to hate this. I would okay. really like to see uh, um, David Tennant. Yes, play Jack Knight. David David Tennant is too old for the role now, but yeah. I really, yeah, that would be great. I mean, he, I think he could still pull it off. You put. People can do a lot with uh, prosthetics and makeup to make you look a lot younger than, than you actually are. Yeah, um, it worked so well in X2. Yes, yes, it did. Uh, let's talk about art, because we were talking about the, the looks and the caricatures. Of, I don't of know art, people. but... <laughs> this, well, I don't know art, but I know what I like, and I know what I don't like. And the first Starman Omnibus, we were, we were pleasured with Tony Harris' art throughout the whole series. Mm-hmm. But this volume, we get... Pencils by Tony Harris. We get uh, J.H. Williams. We get uh, Wade Von Graubadger, or however you say his name. We get a lot of different artists in this volume. And not just because we're dealing with some showcase issues or because we're dealing with um, uh, an annual. We're Mm -hmm. dealing with artists halfway through a story just switching out. And I got to tell you, the switch between Harris to some of these other people is just so jarring that it's almost off-putting, to be honest with you. I didn't get that, but I think, well, honestly, it's kind of like what I refer to that Sandman model. Neil Gaiman's stories would change artists a lot, sometimes in mid-issue, and I wasn't bothered so much by the art change. In some cases, there's... um, I believe the second half of the book is done by someone entirely different. I can't remember whom it is, but 
or who, however that sentence should go. I'm waiting for the grammar Nazis to start just tearing us apart now. Grandma Nazis, grandma Nazis. They can go F off too. The Rouge Gallery. It's the Rouge Gallery. <laughs> I'm telling you, the anyway. Flash is going to be fighting a whole horde of cosmetic salespeople. And exactly. people are going to say, oh, the Rouge Gallery. I get it now. Mass scary godmother. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and lipstick. I was not bothered by the art change. With a couple of exceptions. Generally speaking, it was pretty easy to follow the art changes. And there were some really awesome. And I think they did it at at the right point. And sometimes like a flashback uh, of this early uh, Starman, Sandman team up, we're going to see a different art change. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that um, there's a segment in there that's done by the artist who was doing or had recently done Sandman Mystery Theater. Mm-hmm. For Vertigo, which mm-hmm. was a book starring Wesley and Diane. Right. And that, that artist did the flashback with the Golden Age Sandman and the Golden Age Starman together. I think it's in issue 23. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty awesome. I, I just, I don't know. I just like Tony Harris art and I, I got so used to it in the first omnibus that it was hard to see other people trying to, to add some of their interpretation. Not that I mind it really, but I mean, it just, it's okay. Here's one page that's Tony Harris. Then bam, the next page is such and such guy. And you're just like, wow, that is just jarring. And I don't know. I, I guess I just prefer now to counter that the J.H. Williams stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. And again, you're a huge fan of J.H. Williams work now. Right. So if you look at Williams stuff here, it's interesting to see, you know, 10, 12 years ago, just the the bits and pieces of what would become the style that we know now, which yeah. I think is fascinating. Yep. But in the middle of this issue, or in the middle of this uh, volume, mm-hmm. is the demon poster story. And, of course, oh. the demon poster story was set up in the very first issue yes, it was. of Starman. Yes, and I loved it. The, this is a great arc. Yeah, it's a wonderful arc, and, it you know, it takes... Matt O'Dare and it turns him around and it takes Jack and it takes him in a different direction. So I think that the things that work for the story and the things that work against it are kind of the same thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I see where you're coming from. Also, it, it does have what I consider to be one of the single greatest comics of the 1990s in this collection, which is super freaks and backstabbers. <laughs> I was going to ask you what your favorite one was. This is the Michael yeah. Thomas story that takes place in the seventies and it's, it takes place in like 1975 or something. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. And it shows a coked out Starman having yeah. a final battle and deciding to become essentially a hero. And it's a, one of those things that you talked about earlier where you're actually seeing not a retcon, but you're seeing a fleshing out of something that was uh-huh. already done. At this point in time, and we've touched on this, Michael Thomas as Starman had appeared once and just rolled off the end of the pier. And at the end of that issue, there was a big cliffhanger as to whether he and Turan Ka would have their big, uh, giant fighty fighty. They would have, you know, the end of their, of their rivalry. And the fact that it takes place essentially, you, you don't, they don't tell us exactly, but I'm going to call it Studio 54. Yeah, I would it, agree. It takes place in what might as well be Studio 54, and it takes place in the middle of the Disco Inferno. And these two alien warlords show up, and they sit down, and they have a discussion. 
And Turan Ka talks about how he, you know, they've both been sidetracked by the 1970s. Yes. And Michael's temptation is drugs and his temptation is women. Yes. And how they've both, you know, forgotten to turn the world to their people. Yes. And then they have a fight which may or may not actually be a fight. It's a mental it's a mental fight where the Or is has, it is it a huge drug hallucination? <laughs> well, it could be that too, but the reason why uh he wants to fight the uh What's his name? Shuran Ka? Korak. I Korak. Is his name. Korak. Komak. The reason why he wants to uh, fight us because he's contracted the uh, the herpes and he's going to die anyway because it's lethal to his kind because he's been sleeping with too many loose women. Moral story yep. there. Uh, no matter that he's got a mustache almost like Freddie Mercury. Um, I think it's it's less of a moral and more of a, like that real world consequence where yeah, yeah. you know he's he's this super villain but. He's a supervillain who made some bad choices. Yeah, made some bad choices. And, of course, here we have a you know, hero in Starman. The hero, is, the hero is coke to the gills. Right, so, that's I mean, what I'm saying. Like, the story issue, the story opens with him when you're thinking he's just taking a massive dump on the toilet, and then you realize, oh, no, he's snorting the coke. I never thought he was taking a massive dump. Well, when you see he's been over he's like leaning that. over with his nose <laughs> over a mirror, Stephen. Well, that is not how. In this, and his in this pants issue, are up. Well, when you first George glance... George Carlin said it best. You can't take a dump when your pants are up. When, they at, will first glance, at first glance, when you look at this, it looks like a guy taking a massive dump oh, on the Steven, toilet saying, Oh, please, God, I should not have eaten. You, I should not have eaten at Taco Bell yet again. Fine liven. <laughs> no, Stephen, at first glance to you. <laughs> and that is an important differentiation. My, my uh, you know, I, I really did love the Demon Poster arc. And for the most yeah. part, I like the, the, the Sandman team up where they're going in the very pulpy, uh, the story, but by far my favorite story in this whole issue is the Christmas issue where Jack Knight meets a homeless, homeless man who's dressed up in Santa Claus and he goes out trying to help him find a missing locket, uh, that was stolen from him. And instead of going into the O'Dare's house where everyone is gathering for a holiday dinner, he spends his last dollar helping this homeless man uh, find this missing locket, and then in the end, invites the homeless man over to the O'Dares to have a good meal. It is just a heartwarming story. I, I yeah. loved it from top to bottom. I will admit that I teared up in in this story because it it does pull mm-hmm. on the heartstrings of the holidays, even though it's the middle of of June here, uh, just past the first day of summer. Excellent, excellent story. And th- that's again, that's that same thing that Robinson does is he takes. He takes the characters and he puts them someplace that is based on real human stuff. And again, that's right. a different artist too. I think that's Jeff Yowell. Yeah, it is. It is. But it, it, you know, it puts this superhero in a real human dilemma, something that happens to real people every day. And he answers it and he does it in such a way that, yeah, he's a guy. Yeah, he's a super guy, but he's not Superman sweeping in to save the the crazy homeless guy right he's just jack bringing home a guy for dinner and you know it's not even told in a way of it's the plight of the homeless you know it's not a very special star man it's one of these stories that hey here's the tale the other one that i do like is the bobo one i i did get a kick out of that one because i kept waiting for him to turn i kept waiting for him to turn then he turns and then he immediately turns right back yep and the thing with Bobo is, again, they, we set an expectation, and in a superhero comic, he should have gone evil and stayed evil. Right. But I like the fact that it twisted because 
you know, Jake Benetti is more than just a costume and a mask. Mm-hmm. He's a character. This He has complexities. Even though he's basically this straightforward, two-fisted guy, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's interesting. And there's a later on in the book, there's a moment where it, 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 Jake. Spoil it for me. No, 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 no. <laughs> shut your face. Jake and Starman are just sitting down and they're talking about oh, yeah, tattoos. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's 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 the whole bit, but it's yep. an amazing character bit where they're like, "Yeah, the color's really good on yours." Apparently, my invulnerable skin keeps the the ink good, and you know, yeah, yeah. it's just awesome to have that discussion. Yep, in the middle of the comic, it's it's a, it's of- a really good it's a good story. I like that. The one that I like the least, and the one that I started and read the first two pages and said, "Screw this!" is the Legends of the Dead Earth. Earth is dead. Starman Annual Number One. Just didn't care for that. I thought it looked. Legends to be one of, of those. the Dead Earth was one of those big uh, serial crossovers that DC did in the nineties. They had uh, Legends of the Dead Earth, and they had uh, DC One Million what, pulp, pulp Tales. JL I like those. Ape. I like those. JL Apes were not yeah, very good. JL Apes weren't good, but Legends of the Dead Earth was one where the, you were allowed to tell any story you wanted in the future after the Earth has been destroyed. Right. And the shade tale that it tells is actually really good and really interesting, but it's more, I don't know how to put it. It's, wow. it's more about the story itself than it is about Jack. It's about yeah. Opal City and Jack Knight and all these things happening, but it's not a, a Starman story. And I'm, I'm confused as to why they would lead off the book with it. Well, they, I mean, they don't lead off the book. I mean, it comes in about four or five issues in. Uh, but again, it's, oh, dropped well, right, it. it's dropped right in the middle of, let's see, where does it fall? It, I think it oh, it's, happens right after the Wesley Dodds adventure in New York. Okay. Uh, and then you read that and then you're right back to uh, Starman going in into the mist and saying, hey, old man, tell me your story. And mm-hmm. it just breaks up the whole flow of, of what really should be a good story. Yeah, in the omnibus edition, which Matthew doesn't have because he's, of course, reading the original issues that he got in 1996. Um, <laughs> 88, 98. Thank you very much. Uh, the uh, the back has the uh, from the Journal of the Shade, which is kind of interesting to read. It's all uh, prose. Right. But then it has a gallery of merchandise that came out. And I remember when DC Direct first started out, one of the first series of figures that they had were the classic uh, characters. Justice Society. Yeah, the Justice yeah. Society characters. And they had the old Wesley Dodds and the old Starman, but then they also had the Jack Knight Starman. And yep. I've got, I've still got that figure today. And you put Mine the, too. you put the rod in his hand and it still lights up, which I think is really cool. Uh, Mine actually, I, I somehow managed to get the one with the goatee. I think I've got that one too. I don't remember which one I have. I may have bought both of them just because it's like, oh, look, there's a variant. I must have it. Ha 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 ha. See, I didn't even notice notice that there was a variant until a couple of years later, and they're like, "Yeah, the goatee variant is more expensive." I'm like, "Wait, I wait, what?" Ooh. And I've got it out of the box. <clears throat> of course, I took all of my toys out of the box. I really wish, you know, today I'm more of a um, of a prop person, a more of a statue person than I am just the action figures. Even though I still get those, I've always thought you're more like a statue. But man, I would have loved to have gotten that Starman Cos- cosmic rod prop. I just think that that is pretty cool when they have some of these life-size props that are sitting out. Uh, and, of course, they had the Starman badge and pins that you could get at different times. Um, bottom line, Volume 2 continues a great story. There's a big shocker where we discover that the Mist and Jack Knight have a kid. 
in the form of Kyle. Yes. And we learn some of the, and dun, dun, dun. We learn how that happens. I would dun, dun, say dun. if you like the first omnibus, then definitely pick up omnibus two. Uh, it is electric boogaloo. <laughs> I give it a thumbs up. I say this is a really good read. If you want to pick it up at your library, get it at your library. But I think once you read it, if you like the first volume, you'll like this one too. Even though we've talked about some of our issues and concerns, I liked it a lot. Cool. I absolutely agree. This is one that I don't know if you suggested it or if I suggested it, but I'm going to take credit for it anyway. That's fine. Because the Starman series was one of the best things going at a very dark period for DC. This was the point where they killed Dr. Fate and put his helmet into knives and gave him to a dark, gritty Wolverine type. And right. Lobo had 15 series every month. And it was just, it was not good mm-hmm. in, in many ways. And this book was weirdly continuity heavy and it was, you know, backward looking and it was odd and offset. And I, I still, for a, in a, for a lot of reasons and in a lot of ways, I feel like this feels like a Vertigo title. Yeah. My brain wants to say this is Vertigo Starman because it mm-hmm. does, with Starman and Starman's life, something similar to what Neil Gaiman did when he created Morpheus and, and called him Sandman. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely recommend anything anything Robinson did that says Starman. Really, anything Robinson did that doesn't say Cry for Justice. <laughs> I'm going to recommend. We had a couple of reader comments that uh, Matthew and I will split. The first one's from Tidge, who says, I'm not buying these omnibuses, or are they omnibuy, or are they omnibubbas? But I wouldn't try to talk anyone out of buying them. I was a fan of the series when it was produced. I cannot guarantee that it will hold up today, because in my honest opinion, the best thing about this series that it is that it wasn't like every other four-color book that DC was producing at the time. For me, this book came along at a time when I thoroughly disappointed with the baseline DCU books. I appreciated that I could buy an excellent DC hero comic each month that didn't require me to follow any other book's continuity. This is one of the few reasons I keep repeating, uh, repeating for appreciation or for appreciating Marvel's Daredevil for the past decade. Um... At the time, I was only buying Archie Legion books, most, uh, also mostly self-contained and assorted Helix Vertigo Tyler titles, also all self-contained. You know, I think these stories still stand up today. I, I didn't I really feel like there was anything that was really dated except for the stories that took place in the 70s or the Old West or, you know. That were designed to be yes, dated, exactly. Yes, yes, There wasn't a whole lot of, hey, isn't that Eddie Vedder keen? Right, right. <laughs> Kirby yeah. also says gradually started to pick up the Omnibuy at 50 bucks. It's about once every six months and I've been enjoying it greatly. Volume two really stands out in character development, namely Jack Knight becoming slightly less unbearable and Matt O'Dare beginning his path to redemption. The issue in the roller disco stands as a great one-off within the volume. Tony Harris's art continues to be excellent. However, a problem comes with Robinson's clear love of the shade for whom I personally do not care. Also, it was great to see Jack with his hero, Diane Belmont. Yeah. The the shade thing, I, I there's an element of Mary doing Sue there. to the shade. There's yeah. a big element of Mary Sue to the shade. And it's obvious, you know, when a character, when a, a, a writer has a favorite character like that, a pet character, mm-hmm. it can be done well and it can be done less well. And I feel like the shade seldom veered over that line of, isn't he just the awesomest, most awesome ever of awesomes? Right. Well, I guess for me is I can understand if if Robinson wants to redeem a character and maybe that's the whole point of this entire series. I'm not done with it. You are. Uh, Mm -hmm. And maybe many of our listeners are done with the complete series. 
but it seems like we're showing different levels of redemption or atonement for past sins where we see little at a time with uh, Matt O'Dare and it takes a big moment for him being sucked into hell to make the determination that he wants to set himself straight. We've got the uh, the Bobo story, which is just this little instant redemption. But we've got the Shade story, which as we're reading a lot of these tales through the Shade's journal, um, we see this ongoing, I was evil for a while because it was what I wanted to do, and now I want to do something better. And we see his continued improvement down that path. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that. I really can. So really to take the shade who many people know from uh, justice league, um, unlimited as a bad guy. I like seeing him here as somebody that is neither good nor bad has the potential to do both, but chooses not to do bad. I'm not saying he chooses to do good. I'm saying he chooses not to do bad. Not to do bad. And that's, you know, that's kind of the underlying point of this. The shade is oddly enough, kind of the central character of Starman's book mm-hmm. in that all of the characters have some sort of interaction with the shade. Right. And the shade is kind of like that, you know, Ben Kenobi figure where the shade will stand there and impart some advice. And I always imagine him as sounding like Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins. <laughs> Hello, Mary Hello. Poppins. Hello, Dan Hunter down in New Zealand. Right, but he's got to, he's got to have a very he can't have a very received pronunciation accent. No. Oh. Shade's got to talk like this. All right, and everyone. Like, thank oh, you so much. You know, thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you so much for being part of the Major Spoilers experience and listening to the Major Spoilers podcast. We're gonna be back next week with some more comic y goodness because we know that you love comics and we do too, and we will talk with you real soon. Toodle pit rightio then. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such a chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Star Raven reads like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the hard cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. 
Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010.